Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. My guest today is Raleigh Peterkin. Before we get to Raleigh, I have a few announcements, and that is, of course, we start with the website. That is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and see photos of our guests, see stories that I've written, see stories that other people have written, see uh, links to all the guests' social media, and see links to all our social media and that is, of course, Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. We need more followers on Instagram, folks. Just give us a follow there, will you? Same goes for Twitter, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, and Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. Follow, like, do what you got to do there. My professional showbiz website is funnymike.com. You can go there and see uh, my day job, actually a night job, and what I've been doing for the last 20 plus years. Uh, stand up acting, hosting, all that other stuff. So want to go check that out? That's funnymike.com and funnymike on Twitter. Speaking of links to social media, you can go to our website, traveltalespodcast.com and see links to Stitcher Radio where you can subscribe and iTunes where you can subscribe to this show. And it's all free, of course. And I always ask if you're on iTunes, please give us a good rating. That helps more people find the show because it boosts our presence and that's a cool thing. And if you want to write me, Maybe you want to be on the show. Maybe you know somebody who'd be a great uh, guest for the show. Write me, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Well, a guy who wrote me out of the blue is our guest today. Raleigh Peterkin is a guy who has an interesting travel tale. He was working on Wall Street. He was uh, a wrestler all his life and through college. Went to work on Wall Street, had the normal... Uh, American business life. He was fast-tracked to be a successful capitalist, didn't know Spanish, never really left the country before, and he went down to Peru to train in MMA and became a professional fighter. So Raleigh called me up. We did a Skype interview, and he was in Quebec. He wrote a book about his experiences called The Cage, Escaping the American Dream, that we'll talk about. And he was a real interesting guy to talk to, and I think you'll agree with me when you hear it. So please enjoy my interview with Raleigh Peterkin. Raleigh Peterkin. Hello, Mike. Hello. You're in Quebec right now, but that is not your home base usually, is it? No. It's kind of uh, hard to determine home base. I guess where my parents live in um, a little bit outside Boston is kind of home base in between things, but I've been you know, living all over in the last few years. Okay. Now, let's start your story from the beginning. And I read a little bit of okay. your bio and your story. You had pretty much a normal, you were always a wrestler, correct? Yeah, so I wrestled since I was seven years old, um, up through college and, you know, until I finished college, so it was like, you know, 17 years of wrestling. So you're wrestling, you're living on the East Coast, and you were a Wall Street guy, correct? Yeah, so I wrestled in college at the University of Pennsylvania, and um, I was, I was 
really close to uh, standing on the national podium. I was Division One wrestler and I fell just a little bit short every year. I was like as close as you can get without doing that. And after I graduated, I I got a job on Wall Street. So I um I kind of like wanted to continue wrestling, but it was like uh, I got this this really great job offer waiting for me. And so I went up to New York and I um I started working for a, a bank there and um worked on the a bond trading desk able to actually like uh get like a lot of responsibility from the beginning kind of and um it was it was super super exciting and high paced intense like all the you know kind of wall street uh things that you expect and yeah it was kind of like everything i had wanted in some regards um until one day i took a trip to peru and it all changed from there Okay, why Peru? Were you going to Machu Picchu, or was this like a spiritual quest, a vision quest? Don't think I didn't see that movie in the 80s. Ah, <laughs> uh, vision quest, good reference, exactly. Um, <laughs> wrestling, see, it all comes back to wrestling. Yes, Loudon Swain, right. Yeah. Um, so, actually, it was, I was visiting a friend who was living down there. So my friend Ben Ryder was a college teammate of mine. He was a wrestler as well, and after college, he moved down to... Peru to do like volunteer and this like village down there teaching English to some kids. And since he was a wrestler as well, and he had boxing and jujitsu and stuff like that, he started fighting MMA professionally. So it's mixed martial arts, like what people see like UFC cage fighting. Um, and he kind of like had this like meteoric rise to fame in Peru. He like on his first professional fight, he like knocked out the, the reigning champion, um, who is this like kind of legend there and he's a big guy, he's like 220 pounds kind of jacked. And so he became like this like legend down there. I'm telling you, it's really funny. So I went down to visit him and, you know, we were walking around and like people were stopping him on the street, asking for autographs and everything. He's like on like the local news all the time. He's on game shows. And, um, it's just kind of funny. This guy from, he's from Long Island and he became, uh, this famous cage fighter in Peru. So I went down to visit him and while I was down there, I trained with his team and his coach, who's also kind of like a legendary guy down there on the last day we were like training together and he took me out for drinks afterwards. And he was like, you're going to come down to Peru and fight MMA. And I was like, I like kind of laughed. I was like, that's funny, but no, I have like this good wall street job back in New York. And he was like, he's like looked into my eyes over whiskey. and was like, you're going to come down to Peru and fight MMA. And uh, meanwhile, it's in Spanish, too, and I speak Spanish, so it's, like, being translated <laughs> to me. And, uh, you know, he keeps saying this, and I'm like, you know, eventually I'm just like, ha-ha, that'd be cool, but, you know, I, I can't. And we get really drunk, and, and so I'm like, maybe I will. But then I get on the flight back and go to New York. And over the next few weeks, I just kind of thought about it and thought about it, and I was like, you know, this is crazy, but, like, there's only one point in my life when I can do something like this, I don't have a family to support. I don't have, you know, a house or a mortgage or anything like that. So I was like, you know, this should be the time to go do something this crazy. And, you know, I was at the same time getting kind of sick of like sitting behind a desk the whole day. Um, the sedentary life. I had four computer screens in front of me and I was just kind of saying like, you know, is this it? Am I going to be doing this 40 years from now? Am I going to wake up? Uh, coming to work every day in the morning commute and like I just felt like there was so much more out there to see and so I quit my job and I moved to Peru to become a 
professional MMA fighter. <laughs> it's the cage around you, and it's an octagon and the whole deal? Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. So we fought in an uh, organization down there called the Inca Fighting Championships oh my God. In, in Peru. And it was actually like surprisingly really well-funded and everything. And um, yeah, it was a pretty good setup there. They, they actually were paying us a salary to train and give us accommodation and everything like that. So it was a really cool uh setup and like it was just this total like uh jump into the deep end for me too like i know you know the show is about travel and all this international travel and people with cool experiences like i had never really done this i hadn't backpacked before i hadn't stayed in hostels like that and i was just kind of thrown into like this living in shock yeah exactly like i didn't speak spanish i was living in Lima, Peru with a group of like Peruvian MMA fighters. Like for the first, like, I think like four months I was there, like I didn't meet any other Americans because I wasn't going out to the bar or anything like that. We were just training all the time. And, um, yeah, so it was a real culture shock for me. So you get to Lima. Was there any other foreigners other than you? Not in the with? MMA world. Just, just, just Ben, my friend. And, um, there was another guy who actually was like, uh, Hawaiian, that was in the, in the league down there and he was half Peruvian and, uh, and that was it. And then like later on, I met a group of like kind of expats that were English teachers and stuff down there. But for a long time, I was, I was not exposed to any of that. And, uh, like I said, it was a really quick awakening to this world of travel and living abroad in about the most extreme way I could. How long did the training last? Um, on, you mean like on a daily basis, or no, I mean, but is it a is it a three month process? Or is it a year? How does how long does it all go on for? Well, when did you have your first fight? Okay, so this is crazy. So like, like I said, we were kind of well funded. They paid us to train, so we had to train three times a day. It was like part of it was like a job almost. And we were at the gym like all the time. We lived there, we ate there, and everything like that. And so I had done, like, before I left, I had done a little bit of, like, training in New York City. Like, I was kind of trying to get back in shape, but, um, you know, struggling. And I get down there. I start training every day. I lose, like, 10 pounds in, like, a week. And uh, 21 days after I arrive, my coach just comes to me and says, uh, we're doing some amateur fights later today, and uh, you're going you're gonna to fight. And I was like, wait, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, no, you're going to fight today. And I was like, absolutely not. I just got here. I've been there. 21 days and he was just like you'll be fine and so i was like all right i finally decided to do it and he threw me in there and i fought my first amateur fight after 21 days and i won used basically my whole wrestling background the whole time and um and then yeah i fought again the next month and then i fought my first professional fight after two months down there and you know another month after that it was really quick i think i fought like five times in the first six months i was down there well correct me if i'm wrong because uh i don't know a ton about mma but i have some friends who are really into it and one of my friends said that wrestlers seem to have an advantage over most of the other kind of fighters other than like a a karate guy or something like that because like a lot of fights and certainly most street fights you end up on the ground and that's where wrestlers seem to have, you know, they're trained to wrestle on the ground. And eventually it becomes two guys grabbing each other. And if you're a trained wrestler, that's a huge advantage. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think one of the things that they say about wrestlers in MMA is that 
um, wrestlers are able to take the fight wherever they want it to. So, like, if you're on your feet, you can easily take it to your comfort zone of taking the guy down and taking to the ground. Um, you know, you can kind of comfortable in every position on top and bottom rolling around. And we've done it our whole lives is the other thing. Like there's, there's kind of more infrastructure in wrestling than there are in a lot of these other martial arts. So like I've wrestled over a thousand matches in my life. Um, and you know, I've been competing at like a, a high level since I was a kid and you know, there's tournaments every weekend and like really structured training. College wrestling is like just such a grind that prepares you in so many different ways. So yeah, it's 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 a little bit of the technique and also like a little bit of the mentality that really prepares you for the MMA world. So and if you, you look at a lot of the uh, if you look at a lot of the champions, they're uh, former wrestlers. Yeah. So when you say you had an amateur fight, does that mean you weren't paid? Yeah, for the for the first two fights, I was not paid. No. Okay. And so now, did you win your the second one as well? Yep. All right. Yep. So now you're gonna go pro. Yep. <laughs> so what was that like? And uh, what's your record down there in Peru, by the way? It's 5-0, and oh, actually. Hey! Um, right. Undefeated. Yeah, undefeated. What, wait, so my what first pro fight was... At? at first it was um, like 135 pounds and then 125 pounds. So I had to lose a lot of weight for the fights. Um, if you're familiar with wrestling and other martial arts, about you know, you're cutting weight. Like I weigh about like 160 right now. And, uh, yeah, I was coming down to 125 pounds and 135 pounds for these fights. Um, but yeah, so then my first pro fight was, was really cool because it was like streamed on the internet and it was in this big casino in the center of Lima. And it was like this whole big deal and it was promoted and everything like that. And, uh, all my friends back in New York were watching it and, following my story and it was kind of like redemption it was like oh okay uh you know i'm finally doing it <laughs> right well let's get off the um aside from the fighting let's get to the travel part of it and the culture part of it i mean like you said you you said you hadn't traveled much or really been out of the country that much before you left what was the biggest culture shock for you getting off the plane and how was peru maybe different than what you thought it would be um, I mean, the language thing was a, was a big thing. Um, you know, it just is so sad that we don't focus more on languages in this country. Um, right. and you know, over time I was, I was able to pick up Spanish. Um, I studied like a little bit in high school. Um, but you know, that's not really like that serious in the right. States. And, and so, yeah, I, I picked up the language. I was really like immersed down there. And, uh, you know, my coach, who was in my corner for these fights, like didn't, <laughs> didn't speak any English. So it was like, I had to learn some stuff. Um, so yeah, there was that. And then just, I mean, Peru in general was, was crazy. You know, I, I traveled around eventually and, um, you know, it's, it's so different. I'm sure you've been to, have you been to Peru? Or? I have. I've been to, well, okay. I went to, well, Lima, of course, and then Machu Picchu yep. and then the Amazon. Yep. I did a little bit of the Amazon. Oh, did you go to Iquitos? Uh, no, I can't. Oh my god, I'll never pull the name of it. Okay, but yeah, I did oh, all that. I did that anyway. kind of stuff. Yeah, but uh, did you get to um, know? And, did you get to like the uh, ceviche? Yeah, the ceviche in Lima is amazing. It's I remember the best like in the world. It really is. It's like so great. You know, we have a ceviche in the United States. It's like this little like neat bowl of whatever. Right. But like 
you, you get it down there and it's just like big mountain of fish with like tentacles sticking out and stuff. And you're like, look at it. You're like, I'm not sure what that is, but, and you know, it's, it's so good. And they eat it for like breakfast down there. Yeah. I mean, in, in Lima specifically, they, they're all about the ceviche. Did you eat the Guinea pig? I did once. Like I did when too. I went to my first, my first time in Cusco, you just kind of like got to try it, but <laughs> it's not like something that, um, it's not something I would like actually ever eat for sustenance, but, uh, yeah. It was a lot of work it's, for a little payoff. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's, it's like little tiny bones. You got to, you know, it's a lot of effort, but you're not a lot of meat. Yeah, and I had alpaca also. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. We we actually did this, like, jungle. I went up to Iquitos when some friends came and visited, and we did this, like, big jungle tour up there. We went, like, and camped out, like, way, like, hours up to Amazon. It was crazy. Wow. Um, and, yeah, I remember we went to a little market there, and, um, that our tour guide like comes up and he's like, Oh yeah, you know what that is? Monkey meat. And um there was like howler monkey, little like you could see it looked like little humans are so gross. You could see every finger and everything and oh, little muscles boy. and everything. Yeah, that was that was a bummer seeing that. <laughs> so how long total were you in Peru? Uh a year. One year. I think a little bit over a year. Yep. One year and five fights. And then did they want you to stay longer or did you was it a choice of your own to, to leave? What happened was I, um, I got, I cut my finger really badly on a piece of glass once and my whole finger swelled up and I couldn't like make a fist for a long time. And I, I went to all these doctors down there. This is another thing. Like I, I, I went to all these doctors down there and they were just shrug and say like, nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was kind of like, you know, going to hospitals down there was just you know, like you'd expect a Peruvian hospital to be. Right. And, um, and yeah, so like I, I went. They, they said there's nothing I can do. Eventually, like I couldn't even close my finger. And when I did finally go back to the United States, I went to a doctor like the next day after I got back. And uh, he like took a look at my finger and he goes, oh, you have a sugar finger. I'll give you a shot of cortisone and it'll be fixed tomorrow. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, it'll be fixed for good. And I was like, no way. And uh, yeah, he did that. And it's been years now and it's totally better. So. What was wrong with it? It was just a simple infection or something? It's called trigger finger so like it was caused like the irritation of that somehow caused it and like the way he described it is like a knot going through a pulley like you get like an like a inflammation of the tendon and then it like it won't go through the uh i don't know i guess around the joint anymore and it gets stuck wow so a year in peru you come back Mm -hmm. you get your finger fixed was there thoughts of going back or did you want to compete in (laughs) mma in the u.s or well, there was – it was kind of complicated because the, the league that I was fighting for lost the funding and it shut down down there. Um, and at one point I had started to take um, – actually like I started to abuse some prescription drugs that they sell down there. those anti-anxiety drugs mm-hmm. and I started taking those. I went to this really awful withdrawal from them. Um, and yeah, I came back and I just said, you know, like – that was a crazy experience and I'm really glad I did it, but I, I kind of put it behind me and I started writing my book, which, so I, I wrote a book about this whole experience called the cage escaping the American dreaming kind of playing words there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, cause I figured it was just such a amazing experience going from this wall street career to this cage fighting in South America, like the contrast of them. And like, I, I don't think anyone's ever done quite a journey like that so um 
I kind of had to share everything that I that I'd gone through and all the adventures and the ups and the downs of it with other people. So you wrote the book. Um, did you take it to publishers or did you publish it yourself? What what happened? I I, I published it myself actually. Okay. Yes, it's on uh, Amazon. Oh, great. And yeah, so then I uh, I actually had met an English girl in Peru, and I was going to move to England. That was my next step. We were going to try to figure it out. Um, and I went over to visit. We spent some time together, and it didn't work out. <laughs> and yeah, that as, happens. As, as that happens. It happens, yeah. And so I said, you know what? I'm in Europe. I've never really been over here. I'm going to check it out. And, uh, you know, went over to Paris, which is just about the worst place to go after a breakup. Um, the most romantic city in the world. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I walked around the streets, like seeing people like holding holding hands. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then I went like a tropical Island. That's the only thing worse. You go to Maui or something like that. And it's nothing but honeymooners walking around. Yeah. It's like that. Santorini. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Santorini this summer. It was like that. Oh, I bet. It's all yeah, couples yeah. in Greece. Place. So then you went so, to Paris, and then where else? Then I kind of bust down to San Sebastian in Spain. Oh, lovely. And, I've not been there yet. Oh, it's it's absolutely beautiful. You have to go. Yeah, good um, food, I heard. Yeah, the pinchos there, like the tapas from the north of Spain are yeah. just unbelievable. It's um, Yeah, that's one of my favorite places still. I've been there back there like, I don't know, four or five times since then. Um, and yeah, so anyway, I, I traveled around Spain. I went like all over and I just fell in love with Spain. And uh, basically, I started applying to all the jobs I could uh, in Spain. And I, on my last night in Barcelona, my tour guide was like, oh, hey, I heard about this program that hires English teachers in Spain. Da, 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 da. And I started applying. And a few months later, I moved to Madrid. And um, I lived there for a year, and then the following year I did the same program, and I lived down in the Canary Islands in Tenerife. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I've been all over Europe. Every summer I would go travel. I did the Camino de Santiago through the north of Spain, and I worked at a hostel in Croatia, which is where I met my current girlfriend, actually. Uh, where in Croatia enough. were you? Bavar. It's an oh, island. Oh, yeah, I know uh, Bavar. I've been to Croatia like four <laughs> times. I was just in Lojin. Uh, in oh, October, okay. and uh, yeah, it was really cool. But uh, yeah, Havar is a big touristy island. I mean, yeah, over the summer island. it was like swamped with people. It was, uh, I mean, because you know the the beautiful beaches in Croatia, like along the uh, Dalmatian coast, are just yeah. It's such a popular tourist destination these days. I mean, in the last ten years, it's just boomed so much, and uh, it gets it gets crazy there over the summer. Do you ever meet a uh, overweight Englishman called Paul Bradbury? He wrote Can't the say that. Uh, Total Havar website and now has the Total Croatia website. So it's a oh, good nice. guy to know if you're back in Havar because he knows everybody there. Oh, uh, okay. It's it's a small little town. I mean, it was yeah. Uh, it, it was a cool place. It was uh, a lot of party there, but the, <laughs> the locals definitely are kind of rebelling against the the partiers. In uh, yeah, there's like all these laws there where you can't can't walk around with your shirt off. Um, like even guys can't and everything like that. And if you're like kind of drunk in public, I mean, they, they started like enforcing some pretty strict laws there. Well, I mean, as Paul was saying, he was telling me that uh, it has these growth bursts, you know, and when, when there's that much tourism, 
especially a little small island like that, you have to decide what you want to be. Do you want to be a quaint, quiet place? Or do you want to get as much money as you can and then you become the next um, Ibiza? You know what I mean? Yeah, are you, exactly. Are you it's a party a, a island or yeah. are you going to be like a, a more upscale, kind of a quieter place? It's, um, you know, growth has to be checked or else you're going to ruin it, you know? So it's a really tough Yeah, and the locals lose some of their yeah. culture and everything. And then that, it looks like and, everywhere else. But it brings in money. You know, so you yeah, can, it's tough. It's a tough yeah. trade-off for sure. So they're in, they're but they're having their growing pains, but yeah, it's an interesting place. So you got to go all around Europe. So this one trip to Peru kind of flipped a switch inside you, the travel switch, didn't it? Yeah, you know, like it, I always had this feeling that I was this adventurous person. Like I was always like, oh, I'm this kind of daring, adventurous person, and then. Like, I just kind of woke up one day and was like, wait, I'm just sitting here at a desk. Like, this is not really adventurous in any way. Like, it was just not in line with, uh, you know, what I wanted to do. And so, like, it, yeah, it did. It just flipped the switch. And I said, like, oh, wait, I can do this, actually. I think that, uh, you know, everyone thinks that, you know, you can't, oh, I don't, I need to save more money. You need to do this and to have a career, all, all this stuff. And, um, you know, it was just like a light switch. And I was like, wow, this is possible. And yeah, I mean, it's been the uh, happiest few years of my life. I mean, I just I feel like a totally different person now than, than I was before. Like I um, have friends from all over the world and, uh, you know, I speak Spanish now fluently. I, I'm, I'm learning French and uh, yeah, I've had all these cool experiences living in different places. So I'm really really grateful that i had the opportunity sometimes i think about like what if i had just not done that one first step like you kind of said like what if i had chickened out at the last minute and not done it like i would still be sitting there and it kind of i kind of shudder at the thought yeah do you i mean money is always an issue with travelers but do you i know you teach overseas did you do anything else or is it do you survive mostly on the uh, on the teaching um, well, I was doing teachings that I served around that during the year. And then over the summers, uh, you know, I had some savings, so I was able to travel around and I travel like really cheap. You know, I, I hitchhike a lot. I, I stay in, you know, hostels all the time. And that's another thing. Like people don't realize, I think people think that you have to be like this super rich to go travel for long term. Like, um, but there's, there's so many ways, you know, I'm not going to like fancy restaurants and staying like nice hotels and everything like that. And I wouldn't want to like the way I, I travel. Like I, I like doing it like that. So, um, yeah, like it's, it's really, and like another thing, like I said, I did the Camino Santiago, you know, like kind of walking every day and staying at like five euros a night or sometimes for free in these places and staying with friends. So yeah, I've been able to do it to get a lot of, uh, bang for my buck out of all these travels. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So, uh, what did you think of Madrid when you were there? I've been there a couple of times. I I love Madrid. Look, I Madrid is one of my favorite cities in the world. Like, I think a lot of people uh, visit Spain and they say, "Oh, I like Barcelona better." And like, I don't know, maybe to be a tourist, there's more like kind of Instagrammable moments in uh, in Barcelona mm. and maybe Seville and things like that. But um, Madrid just has such a big place in my heart. Um, the year that I spent there was just like really eye opening. I made such a good group of friends and, uh, there's so many, 
like it's like this big small city because like it's it's the capital of Spain. It's like a quote big city, but then you can walk from one end to the other in like thirty minutes. Um, like if you walk from like Retiro Park to the palace, which kind of like bounds like the center of the city, it's really it's really like you can walk everywhere. You don't even need to take the metro or anything like that. And uh, yeah, it's just got this old school Spanish feel to it. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I I just walk down the streets, just like smiling from ear to ear when I'm there. <laughs> so why did you uh, come back? I mean, what what is your plans, and where do you plan to go next? So um, then I spent the next year in, in Tenerife, and then um, never been there. I I know that's a big cruise ship stop, right? Mm, not Tenerife as I'm much. Like, like I think Canary maybe Islands, some of the other. Yeah, Canary. Grand Canaria, one one of the yeah, other Canary Islands. Yeah. Um, and like I lived in the north side of the island, which is less touristy, but um, really nice, like nice weather year round. Actually, like the high season for us was like in like around Christmas because, like, it's the big uh, resort place for like people from like Scandinavian countries, and Germany. It was like full of Germans, and English people, and Irish. Uh, there was like an Irish bar in town that we hung at all the time and it was all always full of like Irish, English, Scottish people. Um, because yeah, it's like, it's the vacation resort place of Europe. It's the closest one that you can go get nice weather in, in December. And, uh, yeah, so it was really big, like black sand beaches, the tallest mountain in Spain, uh, Tede is there. So it's an old volcano and beautiful, like palm trees everywhere. And you can go hiking up this, volcanic mountain black sand beaches it's uh it's a really amazing place actually i i had such a such an awesome time there during the year and uh again i just love it i like i just have all these places that i just love so much and i never want to leave anywhere um you know how it is you know you fall in love with so many places and you get leave a little piece of you and on them yeah Um, i mean is it going to be teaching in each country if you keep going or did you find another way to make money on the road well so i'm doing a job right now where i'm doing like um wrestling mindset coaching uh, over the phone so it's like uh sports psychology kind of mental preparation for for young wrestlers and uh a friend of mine started a company doing this and um working for him so uh yeah it's actually a decent day and i'm doing that for now and um, I have a few other things I'm, I'm thinking about, but it's too early to really even kind of talk about what, what I'm doing because just, they're just kind of ideas hatching in my head at the moment. Right. Um, how old of a guy but, are you? Can uh, I yeah. ask how old? Uh... I'm, I'm 30. Oh, you're 30. You're still a young guy. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still young. And uh, I, yeah, I've been doing this for about – it's about, been about four years since I left, almost, almost to the – I think it was like February 1st that I first left for Peru four years ago. So, uh, yeah, I've had some, some of these really cool experiences since then. What did your family think of you going away and doing this and going to Peru and leaving a nice cushy job on wall street? Yeah. So this was one of those, like, uh, like I said before, it was like from two crazy extremes, you know, I was working on wall street. They were so proud. And, um, and then I left that not just to travel, but to go, cage fight in South America and um they were not happy at all I mean my mom cried my grandfather called me and screamed at me and kind of said like how dare you do this and uh yeah everyone in my family a lot of my friends too it kind of split my friends down the middle like some people said like 
oh, that's awesome. This is going to be so cool. I can't wait to see it. And then some people would, you know, my more career-oriented friends would say, like, what are you doing? You're throwing your life away. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of uh, a lot of pushback from family and friends. And uh, in those days, like, I kind of, like, put the blinders on and said, like, okay, I'm doing this no matter what. I'm not going to, like, even think about or, like, even, you know, have any doubts myself. And so, like, I didn't – I just kind of, like, knew that I had to be, like, so sure about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't wouldn't be able to go through with it with all that uh, all that pressure. Have those doubters come around since then? Yeah, you know, when my book came out, like I think, well, also, you know, when I first started actually having fights and you know, winning fights down there it was uh, it was a big thing for them. But then when the book came out, I was really like, I was really honest in the book. You know, I talked about the things like the drug addiction and um, and you know, troubles with my girlfriend, things like that, and the the cage fighting, the travels, and so I kind of like brought people into the to my world, my decision making process in the rawest way possible. And when people read my book, it really like, uh, you know, people cried and said they called me up crying and saying like, now I understand what you're doing. And uh, that was to me like the sweetest moment of of it all, like being able to bring people into my story and uh, and. You know, have them have them see what I, exactly I was going through. So, no part of you still wants to fight anymore. No, but um, you know, I, I do some wrestling still and some just on the street. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, just walking the down bar. the street. Yeah. yeah, no. Um, yeah, actually, you know, I was back in Boston at my family's place recently, and um, one of my teammates from Peru um, is now fighting the UFC, which is a big deal. It's like fighting in. It's like playing in the NFL or the NHL. Yeah. It's like the high the like, money levels. Is. It's where the money is. Exactly. Like that's where everyone's goal is. And he now is fighting the UFC at an event in Boston. And we, we contacted him. I was like, no way. And so I was able to like, I was training with him. I was, you know, kind of his warm up partner. I was cornering him and doing all this stuff. And then, um, because I hadn't registered early enough to become like a registered corner, you have to like actually get with like the local, um, organization and everything like that. So I wasn't able to like get into actually the event but um he was like oh they they need a translator so uh so for like the live broadcast on online they had uh they needed someone to translate what his coaches were saying in spanish to english so i was sitting like in the cage side for this big ufc event in boston um with the headset on and the producer in one ear and like microphone and i had to translate what he was saying between rounds like or what his coaches were saying <laughs> and one of his coaches was brazilian and they were speaking kind of like portuñol like yeah it was like it was like portuguese spanish and uh you know i speak some portuguese too actually and uh it, luckily enough it's pretty similar to spanish but like while this is on like live tv and i'm i'm getting this feed in my ear and i have to translate it live as it's coming in it's like portuñol i'm like uh (laughs) but i just like it was one of those moments where i was like how did i get here like i'm at this ufc event in boston translating portuguese and spanish on live tv like i can't imagine the steps all the steps it took to get here see we're uh, traveling you get on a plane once and your life can take a whole completely different direction it's the whole sliding doors mentality you know if you get on if, if you make that one decision your life can take a completely different turn yeah, I mean, I think that my life is a huge testament to that. You know, like one little trip to Peru and a drunken, 
session with a MMA coach and, you know, my, my life is completely different. And, uh, you know, it's a crazy chain of events. You never know. Good old alcohol. Up. See how alcohol starts good things. All, all of all the best decisions <laughs> get made with that. Yeah. Um, so now you're uh, you're back in the U.S. for now. Well, right now you're in Canada with your Croatian mm-hmm. girlfriend. No, she's uh, Canadian. She's from Quebec. Oh, she's Canadian. Okay. Yeah. So, well, but I met her in Croatia. You met in Croatia. Okay, got it. Yep. So now you're freezing your butt off. Oh yeah. To leave. Old. Where's so you don't have a plan for the next place or would you would you go like farther away even uh maybe asia try some thai yes, boxing or something yes there's uh been talks of asia and you know there's a lot of opportunities over there teaching english you can go to like a lot of those countries and make a decent living and teaching english um see about doing a little bit more backpacking maybe i have um an opportunity in Colombia from kind of a friend of a friend who started a business down there and uh yeah, I'm not quite sure at the moment. It's kind of a transition phase for me right now. Any more books? Any more uh, blogs or anything? And any you going to do any uh, website work or anything like that? Yeah, so I have a blog and I've been writing a lot recently. You know, I, I used to write a lot about you know like my whole experience about MMA and and the my story and when I, as it was happening, people were really following it in the early days. And then I kind of like I stopped writing that blog as much and you know when i wasn't fighting and everything like that and now I, I i write the blog again but it's more like you know travel advice stuff like that like about how to meet people while traveling because i've become like this really social person which is something about like a way that travel has really changed me like i think i i used to be a lot more introverted and just you know when you're backpacking around and meeting all these people like it really opens you up and you know i kind of took that to an extreme and i was always trying to meet new people going to like couch surfing events and uh, internations and meetups and language exchanges and, and meeting people. And, you know, I like when I travel, I kind of like, I meet, make friends on like buses and trains and hostels and all this stuff. <laughs> and so I've, I've written a lot about that recently on my blog and, uh, you know, it's just RaleighPeterkin.com, my, my yeah. name. What, um, I did see the article with the, uh, the cauliflower ear one. Oh Yeah. Man, yep. that's that's scary looking. I don't know that. Ugh, I had to, I shuddered when I saw that one. Yeah, so if you go to my website, that one is always like when it says popular blog post. That one uh, is always the top one. For some reason, on Google search, that one just like every day I just get so <laughs> many people. Like if you search cauliflower ear on Google search, like and you can see the search keywords that lead people to my site. Like thirty nine of the top forty are for cauliflower ear. For some reason that like everyone comes to my site for the cauliflower ear <laughs> post. I don't know why, but I rank really high for that keyword. I had no idea that you had to drain it with a syringe. And blood comes out. It's all just blood. And, yeah, it's just like fluid and stuff. Um, I yeah. So like all my friends would get that in kind of high school and college, and they would always just go to a doctor and have it done, or like maybe the trainer. Um, yeah. But I never had it because I always wore like the headgear to right. protect it. Like rugby um, guys. I, yeah, rugby guys get it as well. Yeah. Boxers. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so I never got it, and I was like. I always remember saying, like, I don't want to get it because someday I'm going to have a career and I don't want to be walking around this big, ugly ear thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I when I started fighting, like, it just kind of happened because you're getting punched all the time and you can't really yeah. walk around with the, with the headgear on all the time. And so, 
Yeah, I remember like my friend Ben was just like, oh, we'll drain it. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, oh, we'll go to the pharmacy and get some uh, syringes. And, you know, it was another weird thing, like another surreal moment being like in these pharmacies in Peru buying syringes by the dozens and like, you know, sitting in the back of this gym and having like someone rub alcohol in your ear and just jam a needle in and drain the fluid out of it. Um, And so, yeah, like I kind of like at first really resisted it and then, you know, I kind of said, like, wait, why do I, like, even care that much anymore? It's kind of cool. And, I mean, not cool. Like, it's not, it's not like, like, I don't want a big one. Mine, mine is very, like, subtle. It's not that yeah. noticeable. But, like, it just the other day, like, I was up here in Quebec, right? And uh, I went to go get my hair cut. And uh, people, when they cut their hair, always notice the ears because they always say, like, oh. But uh, this is actually ties in with the language thing. Everyone up here speaks French. Like, people hate oh, yeah. speaking English. Chair and um and yeah so i walked into this place and i was like english and they were like uh and then i heard them speaking to each other in spanish and i was like oh spanish blah, blah. and we're dominicans and i just like started chatting with them and like hung out there and uh and got a haircut and yeah the same thing he, he felt my ear and was just like oh you must be a wrestler right yeah and, uh, so it kind of like it identifies you to other people like yeah in a, in a, in a kind of way like i would be walking around and people would just come up to me like hey you're a wrestler aren't you i'm like yeah, yeah yeah that's usually my first assumption when i see it i mean not as many guys box anymore so i mean yeah, yeah in europe it's, it could be rugby players too yeah europe it's more rugby guys but, <clears throat> but yeah boy that's tough but i had no idea about the syringe and then you had a photo on there I'm like oh man yeah that'll make you yeah, cringe it was, it was big like a squishy water balloon or something yeah. like that it was it was weird when that first happened so your um, your girlfriend is uh, into traveling as much as you are and she's gonna go with you on these things make maybe to asia or something yeah we're trying to figure that out now she's going to japan for a, a school thing this summer um oh, and Japan's then um, great. yeah i've never been there i really want to go oh you'll um, love it yeah and yeah she's been she's lived abroad in a bunch of different places uh, Australia and Argentina and everything like that. So, uh, cool. yeah, we kind of have, have a lot in common in, in that regard. And uh, Try to go to a baseball game in Japan. Oh, that'd be cool, yeah. It's fun. Yeah, I love it. I, I forgot about that. That's so weird. It's a big sport over there. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, also, I was talking to a Dominican guy the other day. He was oh, like yeah. a big baseball fan. He was like, yo, you're from Boston? Oh, the Red Sox. Name oh, yeah. the players. Well, Dominicans, like oh, my God, they... That's yeah. their biggest uh, export. They are the best players for such a tiny island. They produce more major leaguers than anywhere uh, per capita. Yeah, I was I was down there a few months ago, like family vacation, and uh, uh, yeah, I was at a bar and like all the Dominicans were gathered around watching some local game and shouting and everything like that. I, uh, yeah, I went I was to Cuba too. It's the same thing. Oh, I want, I want to go there. Did you go there recently? Like uh, or it was you, 2011. Before, I, had, I was snuck cool. in through. Um, I had to go through Cancun when I went. Oh yeah, yeah. And do they not stamp your passport or something? No, yeah. You buy this little. They called it a a tourist visa or something in um, in the airport in Cancun, and it was like twenty five bucks, and they stamped that, so they knew not to stamp the passport. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it was cool. Oh, that's cool. But they love baseball. Love it. I'm sure they do. Yeah, Korea is the other place that's a cool place to go where they love baseball as well. South Korea. <laughs> yeah, good. thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I not been to North Korea. It's a little tougher. A little tougher to get. I in saw there. some someone a guy I met traveling, like an Australian guy, 
uh, you know, I, I don't really keep in touch with him, but I saw on Facebook the other day that he went there, and I was like, to North Korea. What? Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's tough. I mean, it was like, how do you? That's that's. I have interviewed a few people that, have, that have gone there, but um, yeah, it's not easy to do. But a couple have. But really fascinating, really. So yeah, you know what? The, like, go ahead. Well, one thing, like about um, you know, I get that's a whole different story. But like one thing, I was traveling in Eastern Europe last summer, and I was in like Ukraine, Poland, Bulgaria, and in, like all around Croatia, or like Croatia, yeah. uh, Bosnia. Uh, what's it called? Serbia, Serbia, and everything like that. And I was hitchhiking a lot of times, and like people, m- my mom was going all crazy, like, "What are you doing?" Uh, and um, I was trying to tell her that it's like in a weird way, it's like safer in oh, some yeah. of these places than it is in like Barcelona or Paris. Oh, like sure. because because there's not like the tourism. Like if you're walking around in Barcelona, you have like a big target on your back they're like that's a tourist we're gonna try to steal his wallet i know i know at phone. least five people that we've interviewed on here that got robbed in barcelona i i know probably 50 people that have been robbed yeah. in barcelona <laughs> you know like and um and you know people are saying like you just you have a target on you everywhere but when you're in like in serbia or something like that and people are like you know you're in a small town it's like wow you're gracious yes, you're dear, but what are you doing here this is amazing and, um, you know, it's, it's just different. It's just a different thing. Like no one's walking around looking to, uh, to kind of take, I mean, not no one, obviously there, you know, mm-hmm. and there are risks anywhere you go, but, um, it, it's just like when you, when you're kind of there, you realize that, um, it's not like that. And, you know, there are such amazing people in some of these places, uh, when you actually get off the, the map a little bit and you, um, yeah, you just get like I got invited to people's houses and everything, and people gave me rides. It was it was so much fun. I really loved that experience. It's amazing how fear, I think, even more than money, is what keeps people from going places. That's what I've learned over the years. And when you really boil it down to it, it really comes to fear. And then I'm sure you had it a lot more before you got on that plane to Peru, and how it just keeps you know. You after a while you realize I can do this, and I don't know what I was so afraid of. And we're taught to fear a lot more than we should, and people don't realize that you know, America is not that safe of a place, <laughs> and getting less safe all the time. You know, um, parts of yeah, it are, I and remember- parts of it are not. You know, I, I mean, there's a lot of countries I feel much safer than I do walking around in a lot of places in America. <laughs> Yeah, I remember I um I was when I was walking on the Camino de Santiago last summer, I uh I met this girl who was like a high school Spanish teacher in Pennsylvania or something like that. And I remember her just like looking at me and being like, Do you feel unsafe in Europe with all the terrorism? And I was like, What? <laughs> I was like, You're a high school teacher, like your job is way more dangerous than mine. Yeah. Like you know, walking around like the United States, like you're so much more likely to get shot. Anything like that's morbid. Mm. I shouldn't have just said that, but like you, but like, it's true. You, it's true. Yeah, I mean, like the in terms of safety, like I rarely ever feel unsafe. Like and like in Spain, like I said, the worst that happens is you get your your, your cell phone stolen or something like that. Um, and where do you yeah, go to? Where do you go to Japan? You, they the Jap- the Japanese think we live in the third world. They come here and they I mean, can't believe it. <laughs> like a lot of people, I remember when I was in Peru, I would always like once my Spanish got good, I would I would take taxis a lot because they're so cheap down there, and I would uh, I would start chatting with the driver, and they would say, "Oh, you're from the United States? 
why do people shoot each other so much there? Yeah, that's they the number like, one. These, they would say, how about these school shootings? And I remember just being like, wait, I'm in Peru. And people are like, they, they, they think that like, it's just so crazy that um, people but, in the United States can't see how much more dangerous we are than a lot of other developed countries. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was in Europe during the uh, Orlando massacre, you know, that shooting in the Orlando so, nightclub. And, um, yeah. you know, after a while, and I've been overseas during other mass. Th- I, I was gone during the Las Vegas one. Mm-hmm. Um, and after 25 years of traveling, I, uh, I, don't, I can't explain it anymore. There's certain, there's certain things that I just give up. After a while, they ask me about, they ask me two things around the world about America, about the guns and Trump the health care. Oh, health care, yeah. And uh, I can't explain it anymore. I just go, yeah, we just, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, I just shrug my shoulders. I'm exactly the same. I just uh, say like, yeah, I don't, don't know. We don't care enough to change it, I guess. It does get tough. It's, it's tough, to, tough to take after a while, but... Go ahead. That's one of the great things about traveling is that, you know, you see other perspectives and other things. I think like before I traveled, I was like a lot more closed minded and in a lot of ways, you know, I would I just thought that there's like one way to do everything, it's the best and like, you know, like even not even just the United States, but like specifically I was in New York City. I was like, This is the greatest city in the world. Why would I need to go anywhere else? Like this is it. Everything is here. And uh, you know, you when you travel just a little bit even, you quickly learn that that's not true and that there's so much out there and different perspectives and different ways of doing things and you know just because something is different doesn't mean it's wrong it's just there's different ways to look at the same problem and different solutions to it and uh yeah it's really opened my eyes you know making friends with all of these people from all over the world you do learn that there is no perfect place and every place has good and bad and you just try to make you know you look you look for the good in everywhere that's all you can do. Yeah, I know. Some people like it. It kind of annoys me when they say like, "Oh, people from this country are blah blah blah." I don't like people from this country. It's like, what do you mean? Like, there are good and there are bad people everywhere. Like, there are people mm-hmm. in America. They're like one of the greatest things is if you ever if, if you've ever met anyone from Iran, they're like the most amazing, nice, friendly people. Mm-hmm. And like, yet like our governments don't get along. But like, <laughs> you know, it's like, but. You actually meet these people, and it's like, wow, I want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Give the names of the the websites and the book and where people can uh, get it. I know the book's on Amazon, and it's called The Cage. Yeah, it's called The Cage, colon, Escaping the American Dream. Mm-hmm. Um, it's available on Amazon. And then my website is uh, RaleighPeterkin.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-E-P-E-T-E-R-K-I-N. Okay. Oh, I forgot to ask you my fun uh, food questions. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, I had one queasy night in Peru. Did you get any food poisoning? Uh, I just kind of had like constantly down there. Like it was just <laughs> like um, it was just like I never had full full food poisoning, but I was just constantly like in a in a state of like a queasy stomach, and um, I lost about like in the first month or two I was down there, I lost like twenty pounds just naturally. I mean, I was exercising a lot too, but like. Uh, I remember like a, f- a few days, like going to ceviche, like with my friend, like early on, and just being like looking at the plate of fish and just being like, I can't even, I can't even start this, I can't even <laughs> look at this anymore. So yeah, definitely had had some moments like that. Did you get a taste for Inca Cola? I remember drinking that down there. It's no. like cream soda. That's all it is. It's cream soda. I don't like it. I never it's liked like bubble it, gum. It tastes like bubble gum. It's really too it sweet. Like, it tastes like bubble gum. Exactly. It, it kind of has like a 
pepperminty kind of like i don't i don't know like i don't i mean it's it's fine you know people like it i just the flavor <laughs> i don't really like it so yeah how uh okay what's the first thing you want to eat whenever you come home uh bacon egg and cheese on everything bagel <laughs> how new york I, well, you know what? Like, they just don't really have bagels abroad. It's like yeah. one of the big things. Um, and then the other thing is, I really like is like a kind of Chipotle burrito. But uh, <laughs> you can kind of find similar places like that sometimes. But like, yeah. you got to sniff them out. The number one answer to that question is usually Mexican food. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it like it's you know, I didn't realize how much Mexican food like influences. Yeah, I, I never, American I never get it outside of here or Mexico. I never get Mexican food outside of. That's my travel rule. Never get it outside of Mexico or the U.S. I mean, I would get it in Spain because I lived there for two years, so like I would, I would go sometimes, but I was always a little bit disappointed. Yeah, um, but Spain doesn't do spicy. They don't really. They do don't. Spicy. I was just about to say that. I'm so glad you. I'm so glad you know. They uh, like I it's said. Europe. I don't like to make yeah, generalizations about countries, but I'm going to because they didn't have they the uh, spicy foods. Yeah, they, they didn't have it. the chilies. I mean, they eat a lot of ham, a lot of ham. Yep. And the food's great, but yeah, the spicy stuff. I would carry around after a while. I, I started in Spain traveling with a little bottle of uh, Tabasco. I remember asking for it Funny. at the um, you know those little egg torta is it torta. It's like a it's like a quiche almost that they eat. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, tortilla. Yeah, tortilla española. It was great for uh, breakfast, but it, for to me, it just crying out it's, for hot sauce. Yeah, it needs yeah. hot sauce, and then I remember asking for it in a restaurant. I think it was in Barcelona, and uh, just for like salsa picante or something. He brought ketchup, and I was like, no. And then yeah, he, he exactly. found some old dusty bottle of uh, Tabasco that he found in the back, and. They were watching me put it on it. They're like, I was nuts. <laughs> yeah, you know, like sometimes there'll be like a dish that someone made or something. And it's like, you know, it's not spicy. To me, it would be like a no. one out of ten. Yeah. And if you eat it with a Spaniard, they'll like start waving their hand in front of their mouth and like <laughs> look like their like, faces turning red. And they'll say like, oh, muy picante. And I'll yeah. like look at them like, wait, 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 what? Uh, it's really yeah. funny. I don't know how that came about. But, well, in that case, you're going to love Thailand. Oh, yeah, I love spicy food. Oh, the food is so good in Thailand. So good. Yeah. Food alone is worth going for. Of um, course. Okay, what's the first thing you eat when you want to get this when you go to Spain? Um in Spain, like you said the jamón is really good. Um sure. for me the uh like in within Spain the best food is up in the north in Basque country in in yeah, San, San Sebastian, Sebastian yeah. or even like Pamplona which is in uh Nevada or uh, Bilbao, mm-hmm. places like that. Uh, the food, they have these like what's called pinchos. It's like little tapas, but on top there's like different cheeses and, and fish and everything. And it's just like you go into um, – also it's a style of eating there. They have like all these bars along the kind of like pedestrian street. And you just go into one. You have like one or two of them. You have a glass of wine. And then you right. go out. You go into the next one. You just kind of like do that all night. And that's like – that's your dinner. And uh, it's really – that to me, that's the best. Yeah. I do like that part of a. Did did you? Is it staggering to to know? Was it eye opening for you to see how much Americans eat? <laughs> when you learn after you travel around, and you're like, boy, we really overdo everything. Yeah, well, that's like the stereotype. People like you know. It was funny. Is um, you know the show Man vs. Food? Yeah, <laughs> that was aired in Spain, and uh, oh, they must think that's so disgusting. My first roommates were when I was in Madrid were this Moroccan couple, and um, they used to watch it all the time. And they would just be like, "That's what America's like, right, right?" Yeah. And like, people really <laughs> think that like everyone's walking around eating like huge burgers, yeah, seventy-two all the time. ounce like, steak. 
Yeah, so that was funny. Um, and I mean, yeah, we do eat a lot of a lot of crap in the United States <laughs> and a lot of food. And when you go to some of these countries, um, what's well, the portion sizes know, that are way out of whack? That's the whole of thing. Of course. Well, you've learned. But, uh, See, another thing you learned: small plates. But you know, McDonald's and everything is is really infiltrating everywhere. I remember when um, uh, my first year teaching, I was teaching elementary school and uh, in Madrid. And uh, I had to do this like questionnaire with the students, you know, like, it was like, what's your favorite restaurant? What's your favorite blah, blah, Because they were young kids. Yeah. And um, I remember like of a class of 20, 19 of them said their favorite restaurant was McDonald's. Right. And like the, the the 20th said Burger King. <laughs> so, you know. Well, it is really kid want- food. That's why they have a clown. Yeah. But I, I, was, I would joke. I would say like, oh, OK, I'm going to go eat McDonald's because I want to eat like a local. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, finally, to, to uh, wrap this up, what? What do you think travel has done for you uh, to change not only how you feel about people, but how you feel about yourself? What do you think it's given you? Um, you know, I said before, it's maybe more outgoing person, more confident person, um, more just kind of relatable person. Like, I just think that I've had so many experiences that um, are so interesting and it just, it just showed me what I was capable of. Like, I, I didn't know that I, I could do all of this stuff and like it, it kind of has given me that confidence that's like if I can do this if I can you know hitchhiking Ukraine or something I like what can I do I can do any, anything and um yeah it's just really given me that that sense of confidence and um I'm like eternally grateful for all of that and then the perspective of you know the world just it's not that big once you start traveling you just you realize that and I love it. Well, thanks for uh, reaching out to me, man. I really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you, Mike. It was really fun. And uh, good luck in your travels, man. Have a Stay in touch. I can't wait for the next book. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to come back on when I, when I write my next <laughs> yeah, book. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. That's Riley Peterkin. And go to TravelTalesPodcast.com and see the story. And you can see all the links to Riley's uh, sites. And you can see articles there uh, that I've written, that others have written, and all our links and blah, 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 blah. So thank you so much, Riley. And uh, stay warm up there in uh, Quebec. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks.